0: If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be.
1: Hey, Rote World Radio listeners. I am not your host, as always. I'm Cole McKnight, filling in for Sterling Chapman. And here with us today, we have Taylor Lott. This is actually his second time appearing on the show. So, Taylor, welcome. Good to have you back.
0: Thanks so much for having me on the show again.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's get into it. Um, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got started into real estate?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a multifamily and self storage investor, investing all across the country. Started my real estate journey back in 2016. Since then, I've acquired, partnered on, invested in, or had a hand in over 250 million in commercial real estate investments. Today, like I said, we're investing all around the country, mostly multifamily, a little bit of self storage investing, though, as well. And, uh, you know, always looking for solid, you know, value-add investment opportunities that make sense in today's high interest rate environment. You know, we just hit a uh, kind of a milestone in terms of interest rates being the highest that they've been in the last 22 years, which is um, impacting all the markets, I think, in, in many ways. And as real estate investors, we're certainly not immune from that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So what markets are you actively targeting right now to find deals in?
0: So, yeah, we're investing in Dallas, Houston. We've done quite a lot in Phoenix, although that, although that has slowed down uh, this year, just I think due to some you know market conditions in uh, Phoenix, of course, that folks are generally um, aware of. I still like Florida as a state for investing, but changes in not only property taxes, but also increases in insurance rates have made deals a lot more difficult in Florida. Now, Texas is not immune from that, but it seems the uh, impact on the investment market generally has been a little bit more significant in Florida. Um, I also like the Carolinas, both North and South Carolina Uh, in the more major markets of course you know they both can get pretty rural and you don't want to get too far out of the major uh cities and then we've had success in certain parts of the midwest if you will uh mid michigan's been good to us in other areas but you know always focusing on sound economic fundamentals is really where it starts you know supply and demand related issues are are there you know, s- strong job markets. Are there people moving to these areas? Do they have diverse economies in that the local economy is not dominated by one industry or one major employer? You're looking for those um, big potential risk factors, but also those big opportunities where we can ride the economic tide, if you will.
1: Absolutely. So I think after COVID, like we've seen a shift toward the Arizona and the Texas and the Floridas and the Carolinas. So did you see that with Michigan as well? Or like what attracted you toward the Midwest markets?
0: I think one of the big things about the Midwest is, you know, as much as I love Texas as an investor and I'm certainly still investing there, there are other investors, a lot more other investors in Texas, whereas, you know, who in the world is talking about, say like Michigan, or there, or there are some folks that are in say, uh, Indiana, I don't invest in Indiana myself, but, um, you know, Indianapolis is one of those cities that does get some attention from investors. But if you go to say a real estate syndication conference, the odds that somebody's going to mention Indianapolis is, it's pretty low. Right. And I think that could be a good thing. Now, like I said, I don't invest in any Indian- Indianapolis, just throwing that market out there as a general, uh midwest market that most people are familiar with that has people that live there that could be could make sense to go and evaluate the local economy to see, you know, if it fits the supply and demand drivers if you will just as an as an example of a city that we might look at in the midwest as a topic of consideration that is not an area that investors are really broadly talking about. Certainly some people are, but again if you go to a real estate investing conference, the odds that you're going to hear that market as compared to say, Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, Phoenix, you know, all these other areas, it's pretty low, right? You're going to hear right, about those right. Texas markets first.
1: Sure. Okay. So what are some conferences you've attended recently?
0: Recently, you know, I, was, I really slowed down my conference attendance over the last few years because I found that investing that time, effort, and money back into my own business has a much greater return uh, than most conferences. Although I'll say I go to the best ever conference every year. It has shifted from Denver to Salt Lake City. Went this year, had a great time, certainly going back next year. Um, Others that I've been to that have been good, but I don't go to consistently. Like I started with the um, Real estate guys' secrets of successful syndication. Before I'd ever syndicated a deal or invested in a syndication, that's where I started to go. and And those events were uh, productive. Uh, I've had good experiences at RE mentors ultimate partnering events. Although it's been a few years since I've been to one of those, I'd certainly be certainly be open to going back in the future. Um. You know, other folks like going to, say, uh, Michael Blanc's events. Um, I had been to to one one of those a few um, years ago.
1: Two months ago, Dealmaker Live Mm -hmm. in uh, Dallas. And it it was awesome. It was a great time connecting with people and just seeing what everybody was up to and meeting new faces and then just making some connections.
0: Yeah. So the big thing that I... When I was first starting out, didn't appreciate about those events was how important the lobby is, if you will. How am un- how critical and valuable it is to just not even go in the actual session, just stand in the lobby and talk to people, make friends, network, or heck, talk with people that you've met before, you know, online or on a podcast or on a, a forum like Bigger Pockets, and just, you know, build a face to face relationship and Certainly not all of those connections ever lead to anything. I would say a small minority of those connections lead to, you know, say deals or investors or anything. But those percent a couple percent that do lead to, you know, productive relationships and profits and everything can be incredibly valuable. When you're starting out, you know, speaking about the the sessions and sitting in on them, they the the sessions can be valuable. The um the education, you know, sitting in the, the, um, the speaking event, if you will, and trying to take notes and learn something that can be valuable, but kind of after you've done a few, especially uh, after you syndicated a deal, exactly. You've, you've heard them all. You're probably not really getting any new ideas. The real value is in the networking.
1: Right. Right. So I think some of the sessions they just get, it's not so much that they're either pitchy or not pitchy, but it's hey, hoorah, go you, you can do this. We really believe in you. Everybody, let's clap for 10 seconds. And it's more like if I'm going there, I want very specific, detailed education pieces that I don't know about, whether that's how to invest when the interest rates are at 9% or what type of cap rate I need to look for this type of multifamily apartment complex or even a storage unit? What what size lot should I be looking for? Like really the finer details. And sometimes I just feel as if they're more like very broad and general ideas that I could get from listening to a motivational speech on Spotify or Apple or whatever.
0: I totally agree. And there are a few factors that go into that. So one, just, just speaking from the speaker's perspective, you know, I've done a few of these myself. So you know, I, have, I feel I have a little bit of insight into what it takes to give a presentation on a stage like that. One, it's difficult to plan a speech like that and make it productive, meaning it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time to put one of those presentations together. So when you put a presentation like that together, you want to make it so that You can kind of probably give that presentation for at least a few years. It's going to be somewhat evergreen content rather than a flash in the pan. You know, what's the strategy I'm pursuing in Q3 of 2023? Well, that has a very finite length. And if I'm going to invest all that time and effort into generating a presentation, I'm going to give something that uh, I can present on today, next year, two years from now. Yeah, I might refine the presentation a little bit, change some of the details, but I want to provide knowledge that is a little rinse and repeat. And that's a little bit for my convenience, but you know, it's just the reality. And a lot of speakers do that. Another factor mm-hmm. is when you're up on a stage speaking, it's a completely different experience in terms of the knowledge that you're sharing, but also how comfortable you are really getting into the weeds. And you could look at that from a, you know, potential liability standpoint. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you could put that, but there's just a, a big incentive to be a little bit more generic. Whereas the same folks that are up on stage, they go out and into the lobby too. And if you grab them one-on-one, heck, watch their presentation, ask them a question about it, you know, be friendly, you know, whatever. But if you want to get the real thing, you know, like, one of the examples that you gave, you know, what's the cap rate you're investing in today, or, you know, or, or you're targeting today rather, or the strategy that you're pursuing it to kind of go back to what I'd uh, spoken about a little bit ago. What are you doing in Q3 of 2023? Just as an example, we'll go talk to them face-to-face and the odds that they're willing to tell you face-to-face are, it's not a hundred percent. They might not tell you, but they'll share a lot more, uh, one-on-one because, They're not on a stage, right? There's a lot more pressure on a stage just to be, you know, accurate when you're blasting it out to everybody. It's hard to have nuance in what you're saying. And then you could also talk about, you know, potential liability or whatever, you know, it's it's theoretical. And I think the SEC has a few things to say about, say, like conditioning the market. And, you know, it just gets a lot more into the weeds. Whereas when you're one-on-one, it's not recorded. It's not a public conversation. People will really share.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I mean, that's a very good point. And that adds like that adds a lot of good context to uh, conference goers or, you know, even myself when I don't necessarily if I'm sitting there in the audience, I'm not necessarily thinking like that. But then, you know, honing it in here. That's awesome. So do you do any local meetups? Do you attend any local meetups? Do you host any?
0: Yeah. So pre-COVID, I hosted a local meetup that was uh, productive, grew quite a bit. And then once COVID came around, I took it online. And the there are both uh, advantages and disadvantages to that, right? Of course, the in-person connection is very valuable, right? It makes a lot of sense. But the disadvantage is that my reach is limited to just the people that are in my city. Whereas when we go online, I can bring in people from all over the world to that event. Now, We just mostly have folks from the U S that tune in to our now online webinars, but that's been, you know, very helpful. I do attend a few local meetups, uh, here in my area. Although, you know, honestly, most of them, like most RIAs are just not a good use of my time, right? They're giving a presentation on, you know, how to wholesale your first property, how to invest in real estate with no money down, right? That's not relevant content to me at all, but it's also not, it's not my crowd, right? My investors are mostly, you know, millionaires to multimillionaires. They're not sitting in that crowd. Their time is way too valuable. Those are the folks that I'm looking to, you know, spend time with and build relationships with.
1: Sure. Sure. So how do you find those investors?
0: So we have, I have quite a few strategies, but for me, the most productive by far has been through my podcast and just putting out content, putting out knowledge, sharing, you know, interviews with, you know, exactly like we're doing what we're doing today, but just, uh, just on my show. And yeah, I think there are a few reasons that that's productive and and useful. People get to know you by listening to you or, you know, get to know me by listening to me, get to appreciate our experiences and knowledge and everything around that and build a certain level of comfort. And then once they reach that point, they say, Hey, I'd like to talk to Taylor and learn about, you know, the deals that he's doing. Now, I don't speak about our deals in the show for obvious compliance reasons to anybody who's been in the business before. But they generally build a relationship uh, with me or with you generally when you speak on a podcast or host a podcast. And that really boils down to, I'm reading this this book right now that was written in, I think, probably the early 80s by Thomas Stanley. It's called Selling to the Affluent. It is a thick book. I got it on uh, Amazon. And one of the lessons that he's hammering home in the portion where I am right now is that people don't buy your product they don't buy your investment they buy you right that is what quote unquote sells them on whatever you're talking about right whether it's an investment opportunity or you know something a, a business service something like that they're they're buying you yeah they are interested in what the thing widget service investment is but first it comes down to you your experience knowledge everything
1: around that Mm-hmm. They have to believe in you and trust in you and want to actually spend time with you and, and communicate and talk with you. And if you've mm-hmm. just got you know an abrasive personality, but you're a great businessman, they probably don't want to talk to you. But um, yeah, we we see a lot of that. So we get with Crestworth Capital, we get a lot of referrals, and you know we have we have the podcast and the website, and we post blogs, you know, a couple times a month, and we try and get that natural traffic. But we just see a lot more through investors who started off as friends or family, and then they tell their friends, they tell their family and whoever, and it just expands naturally. But with that, the only thing is the growth is a lot slower than like mass marketing campaigns or whatever, you know, staying in compliance. But it's it's created like these more fruitful and strong relationships than just having some guy throw 50k into his Vanguard account and they just go do whatever with
0: it. 100%. Yeah, certainly I do and have received referrals. I have friends and family investors, but exactly like you said, we can't control that. I you know, I can ask for referrals. I can say, "Hey, so and so, if you're enjoying your experience with us, I'd certainly appreciate a referral, but you know, I'm not going to push on it one, but two, I can't decide whether uh this, you know, investor is going to refer me to anybody or whether he or she knows anybody they'd want to refer. There's so many questions that go into it. So I certainly appreciate them. I'm more than happy to ask for and accept referrals. I don't push on it. You know, again, you, nobody likes somebody being pushy. Um, So we as business owners, as investors need to focus on the aspects that we can control, right? What can we drive and we can ask referrals, we can request them, but we can't drive whether we receive them. So, yeah, that's why I focus on putting content out there and being available.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's dive into storage units a little bit. Storage units, um, I didn't really know very much about them a couple years ago. And um, I met this mentor through the gym who's in GoBundance and um, he actually introduced me to Sterling. So that's how I got this job. And my parents' first investment with Jeff, the Debt-Free Doctor, shout out to Jeff, uh, was a storage unit in Alabama. And so can you just tell us a little bit about like what you look for, why you like them so much, and kind of how how you found that they're a good investment route?
0: Yeah, Jeff's been on my podcast, so it's it's interesting to hear about all of these connections. It's so funny how small this space is. I mean, there's so few people in the real estate syndication space when you really get down to it. Um, for me, so there are so many things I like about the self-storage space. I think number one, it starts with kind of that first comment that you made that you hadn't heard about them before, because most people aren't really aware that you can invest in self-storage. Now, once you get into the real estate syndication space, pretty much everybody knows about it, but more broadly, when you, talk to the average person about real estate investing they're going to think about buying a self uh, excuse me buying a single family property you know buying a rental that's what pretty much everybody's familiar with they're going to think about flipping because we've all seen the tv shows where you know, somehow they wind up making money on these hundred thousand dollars
1: <laughs> every flip they do. Yeah, sure.
0: Even though it doesn't make any sense and the renovations yeah, look the, terrible. The numbers
1: aren't adding up, I can tell you how oh, much.
0: Right. And they might have heard of like these we buy houses cash, you know, businesses, the wholesalers out there, but they don't really know how that works until you until you get into it. So really the kind of lack of awareness that most people have drew me to uh self-storage originally, but that wouldn't have been enough to keep me, right? If if it's not popular, then there might be a reason it's not popular. Heck, maybe it's not profitable. Maybe there's not opportunity there. But the aspects that really kept me in self-storage came down to, you know, there's a, there's a few things to it, right? So it's a fragmented market that is still largely owned by mom and pops, right? So there are a few things that come along with buying a mom and pop self-storage property. Oftentimes, those mom and pop investors haven't invested in the latest and greatest technology that would enable them to drive their rents and occupancy. And I mean, that's not, it doesn't have to be fancy, right? There are software packages that'll manage rent collection and marketing of your units. Many of these mom and pops, heck, they don't even have like a Google Maps entry. And when I think about, for myself, if I was going to go rent a storage unit, well, how am I going to find it? I'm going to go on Google maps on my phone. I'm going to type in self-storage and I'm going to pick one of the three closest options. Probably a lot of these mom and pops haven't done that because maybe they don't appreciate that. That's how, uh, folks find self storage these days. You know, they're kind of used to just having a billboard up and somebody calls in and that represents a great opportunity to drive rents. And most of the value add add Opportunities that I see come out of something like that. The current owner hasn't maximized the value because they might not be aware of the options that are available to them, or they're kind of tired, you know, property owners. They don't really want to anymore. They're retired and it's just a cash flow stream for them. And they might be looking to get out of the business. And that is really our opportunity to buy them out as a at a value that is certainly fair to them, but then invest in the properties and really take them to their full potential by modernizing the operations or adding square footage or whatever makes sense for the property and that that was really what drove me to self storage is just how much opportunity is out there in the asset class and then of course through covid i'd already been investing in self-storage prior to covid but then we saw the eviction moratoriums which you know hit some investors in some areas and just being able to be exposed to lien law rather than landlord-tenant law, I think is a big advantage of self-storage investing as well.
1: Gotcha. So with the multifamily apartments, like we see a lot of five to 10-year holds before you know a sell or whatever, and that may come with a year three refi, but what are you seeing with the storage units? Are they the five to 10-year as well, or are they closer to like a three to five-year hold?
0: I think it's comparable to multifamily, but it's important to remember that 2020, 2021, and 2022 were pretty abnormal markets, right? Because the Fed reduced the, you know, the cost of money, essentially interest rates down to basically nothing. And we saw that inflation and everything. But one of the things that that, Drove in the market was an increase in velocity or, or turnover of ownership. So a lot of folks who are buying properties and selling them a lot faster than the historical norms. So, you know, generally speaking, I think whether it's multifamily or self storage, moving forward, we're going to see more of a reversion to the mean in terms of hold times, you know, a lot more five to seven year holds as opposed to what we saw for the last few years, which was, you know, 18 to 24 months, even though we thought, Hey, we're going to hold this. We, we underwrote, we're going to hold this for three to five years, but we have an opportunity because the market has kind of gone crazy to make our return in 18 to 24 months. Well, Hey, it's hard to pass that up. Right. I, I certainly took advantage of that when, you know, I had the opportunity, but that's not the normal market condition and you know we need to accept that and be aware of it
1: right right well um what do you have on the horizon any any specific deals we don't have to get into too many details but anything cool coming up for you
0: well yeah i wouldn't be able to talk about you know deals on the show but i think you know publicly that's pretty standard i think for the space but you guys know, I, I still see opportunity in both of these spaces, multifamily and self-storage, you know, certainly there is distress out there right now. And that's not a secret, right? It's, you can find news articles about investors who didn't plan for interest rates to be what they are today. And maybe their interest rate caps expired. So they're having a cash crunch and that will lead to opportunity for someone, you know, for anyone who's prepared to take advantage of that opportunity and my goal is to be properly positioned to capitalize on those opportunities. I feel we've adequately protected ourselves from experiencing that downside. Uh, if I could address that, but also be sufficiently uh, vague and not to get into anything. There are, again, people that will talk behind closed doors. This is the power of those one-on-one conversations of you know, learning about who's experiencing distress or Seeing where the distress is before the market figures out where the distress is, because by the time the market figures it out, it might be too late to capitalize on it. There, you might have yeah. missed the wave. So there will be opportunities for sure. If you look on social media or bigger pockets or you know what have you, I think a lot of people think the Fed is going to start cutting rates really soon. I think it's a little unwise to try to bank on that. It's so far out of our control, and it's just—I uh, see that—I see that as a formula for overly risky decision making. So I'm certainly not banking on that. It might happen, um, but we need to be wise and and aware of the aspects that are out of our control, and that includes, you know, the direction of interest rates. If that makes sense. Sure.
1: Sure. And I mean, I'm by no means an economist or finance whiz or whatever, but there's been certain articles that I've read for, uh, you know, and putting them in our newsletter or just taking bits and pieces of them and saying, hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're hearing. And none of it has been like, oh, it's coming to drop real quick, real soon. It's always been like, OK, at the end of 2023, expect another, you know, half a point hike or whatever it is. and hopefully that's not the case, but that's what I was reading. That's what I have read. That's what I've still been seeing. So, I mean, I Lord knows what's going to happen.
0: I don't, honestly, I don't think the fed really knows. I think the fed has made good and bad decisions in the past, just based on, you know, they make mistakes just like any other entity can. So who knows what's going to happen? looks like inflation has calmed down, but you know, we we can't see. Are we going to plunge into a terrible recession? I doubt it. I don't see that coming. But you know, black swan events can happen, right? I didn't see COVID coming. Who who did? Other than a couple of uh, senators that made some insider trades and made a lot of money off of that, right? The rest of us yeah. didn't know about it. So we can just position ourselves to be ready for those downswings. You know, when they happen, have reserves in the bank. You know, all the other things that can go along with potential. You know, aiming at protecting your downside, either personally in your personal finances or in any given deal or in your real estate investing business, we can hedge that risk. I think that's a wise thing to do, but also try not to read the tea leaves too much because, you know, you just are just going to distract yourself and get it wrong stuck in
1: analysis paralysis like eventually you're gonna have to do something and the more you look 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 you're just gonna keep waiting for that perfect time to to make the jump or do whatever and end up not doing anything just because you're reading the tea leaves too much like you said yeah okay well let's jump into our rapid radio round so the first question here is what is your favorite book so
0: I've been reflecting on this a lot. I've been asked this question quite a few times recently. I'm not even sure why, but uh, probably this this one over my shoulder, I'm going to try to point out it. Crucial conversations. Um, it teaches you tools for dealing with conversations when the stakes are high is kind of the phrase that they use. And it's a valuable set of skills, of course, number one. So that's one of the reasons that uh, I love the book, and number two, it came along in my life at a time when I really needed those skills. I'm in my mid 30s now, but I originally read that book when I was in my mid 20s and starting my real estate investing business. And you know, now I'm married and everything, so a lot of those tools uh, came in handy in my 20s. Come in handy today because we're gonna always in life find ourselves in what they call crucial conversations and conversations where the stakes are high and having the tools to navigate those conversations can help us avoid so many of the pitfalls that oftentimes boil down to just saying stupid things and, you know, letting our emotions get in the way that can damage relationships and business situations, um, that are, you know, just unnecessary, right? So our ability to work with others and influence others, just, you know, again, how to win friends and influence people, Ultimately, will influence our success in life, not just monetarily and financially, but also I think our general well being. You know, it's just so when we have strong relationships with others, whether it's you know partners like wives or business partners or friends or whatever, that boils down to our ability to have potentially difficult conversations, navigate those situations well and effectively, and come out, you know comfortably and and in a good position on the other side if that makes sense. So that's why that book is important to me.
1: Awesome. So crucial conversations. Do you have the author off the top of your head? Um I'm gonna pull it off of my shelf here.
0: Not a green screen behind me. Um <laughs> there are several offer authors Patterson, Granny, McMillan, and switzler Um it's a red book. You can find it on Amazon. It's not uh not super super long i think it's probably 200 pages something like that but uh yeah 227 so go check it out nice. it's a great book
1: absolutely will do and what is your favorite quote the obstacle
0: is the way so that book was written by uh ryan holiday I'm, I'm a fan of his writing and his books but again he came out with a that book the obstacle is the way at a time in my life when i was You know, I I think I was in my early 20s at the time. I forget exactly what year it came out, but it was at a time when I was, you know, there was essentially a fork in the road, right? Like, are you going to choose to face tough obstacles? Are you going to just, you know, let them go and take whatever the easy path is? And I always, whenever an obstacle comes up, I always try to remind myself that the obstacle is the way.
1: Yeah. Okay, kind of similar to the road less traveled. And then last question here is, what is your favorite thing to do outside of work?
0: Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I've been training since 2015. I got my purple belt last year in 2022. And, um, you know, again, I'm in my mid-30s now, so I'm starting to experience some of those mid-30s nagging injuries, but it's a great way to basically force yourself to be present in a situation because you're, you know, submission, submission, grappling with your friends, right? So they're beating you up. You're trying to beat them up. And so you better be paying attention to what's happening. It's a great way to rep that skill of being able to be focused, but also to build the skill to push through uncomfortable situations. I think when you put yourself physically in uncomfortable situations, whether it's, you know, Brazilian jiu jitsu or heck, rock climbing. Go rock climbing. I don't like rock climbing because I <laughs> how uncomfortable it is. But if you can put yourself in those situations and push through, I see personally for me that those skills translate to business situations when you can, you know, either gut it out or have perspective that hey, this isn't really that bad if I don't let my emotions get in the way or if I just pay attention to what's happening. I can push my way through. Plus it's a great way to stay in shape. i got friends, I've got investors and everything. I met my wife at ju- the jujitsu gym. So been a, it's been a great influence
1: on my life generally. That's awesome. I have never heard a single person say anything negative about BJJ. And I, like I myself would want to do it, but I got two bad shoulders. So, um, I'm, I, I don't think it would be for me, but that that's so cool. Love here. The that. injury,
0: the injuries are the bad thing. That is the bad thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, where can our listeners find you at Taylor?
0: So I host the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. New episodes every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. We'll teach you how to build wealth on Main Street and escape the Wall Street casino. Or if you'd like to learn about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Taylor, for coming on the show for the second time. This is a great episode. We really appreciate it. Thanks for
0: having me. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to crestworthcapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.